0: to the Pearls of Biblical Wisdom podcast ministry. The song playing was entitled Others. It's the hymn Others. And the first two stanzas uh, go like this. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like Thee. Help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that all that I would do for you must be done for others. So Charlie Crawford is joining me today and our focus will be primarily on Luke chapter 10, 29 through 36. Just a few weeks ago, Uh, Stephen Fessler and myself did a podcast on Luke 10 25 through 29, which introduces the reason why the Lord gave the Good Samaritan account. And today, Charlie and I will be looking at the Good Samaritan account. So you may want to listen to the other podcast to get the background to this one if, if you haven't already. And so Charlie's going to give us a little bit of personal background about himself. And Charlie, we're just having a wonderful time of prayer together. And we're just praising God for how long we've known each other and his faithfulness down through the years. What a privilege it is for you and I to work together and the many answers to prayer we've seen. And now to be able to do, I think this is our second podcast we're doing uh, together. So I'm just so thankful for you thankful for your family, and thankful to have you sitting across from me doing this podcast with me.
1: Pastor, it is a delight to be here today. Thank you very much just for the opportunity. I certainly don't feel worthy to do a podcast, but whatever the Lord has in mind today would be great. Just a little bit about myself been married to Stephanie for 43 years. We've got four adult children, uh, two girls, two boys. The girls are married, have five grandkids. We've been in the Greenville area and, and at the Fellowship Pastor where you've served for many, many years. We, we came here in 1995, so uh, called Greenville area our home for a very long time. My wife and I have been involved in youth ministry of some sort or the other our entire married life have taught high school and now young, young adult Sunday school for what seems like my entire adult life. My work experience, I'm, I'm a certified public accountant by uh, training and trade, spent 12 years uh, with an international accounting firm, but for the last 27 years, I've been with a, a company that serves uh, medical supplies for uh, physicians and, and dental supplies for dentists on a global basis. It's uh, something I've enjoyed. It's allowed me to use uh, my talents and skills that the Lord has given me, but I'm about to retire from that and look look forward to just being able to spend more time with family and actually spend more time at church and with you all doing some things that I, I really love to do instead of just meeting the needs physically of my family. It's a real pleasure just to have the opportunity to talk about this particular scripture today.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much, Charlie, for joining me. And what we're going to do now is I'm going to read the scripture that we'll be looking at. And then after I'm done reading the scripture, you'll be giving us some background about the lawyer that's mentioned here in the scripture and also the route that they were taking in those days that was so dangerous. Uh, You'll be giving us a little bit of background about that that will be helpful. So I want to mention before I read the scripture how important it is in life to take the approach that Jesus took on a number of occasions. When he was asked a question, he answered the question with a question. And I base this on uh, Proverbs, also Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5. It says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. And then the very next verse says this, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. The Lord was a master at this, especially the last week of his life on Tuesday. He had one attack after another attack after another attack. They were trying to find some evidence, you know, to crucify him with, and it, it couldn't come up with any evidence to Righteously crucifying. And the Lord, on those occasions, he would answer their coming to him with their attacks with a question. This is the same thing we find here in this parable. So let me read it to you. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, that is, tempted Jesus. And he said, Master, what shall I do to inherit? eternal life and Jesus said to him what is written in the law how do you read what the law says so there's a question that Jesus gives in response to his question and the lawyer answered and he said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul all your strength and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And then the Lord said to him, You've answered right, this do, and you shall live. But now notice his response, the lawyer's response. And this is the key to his understanding of how to have eternal life. It says he wanted to justify himself. He was trying to justify himself to be righteous, before God and none of us can be righteous before God without God providing the righteousness through his son Jesus Christ so it's not by the works of the law that you become righteous in your own effort it's got to be the gift of God through salvation in Christ so here's what he says he he was willing to justify himself and he said to Jesus who is my neighbor so he's trying to be evasive here about facing his sin problem in his life. And so he's taking a different course of action to get the conversation to go in a different direction. And so Jesus then gave the account of the good Samaritan. And he said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, and they stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, he came and looked on him. And he also passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, and this is a key word here. Every one of us needs to develop the Christ-like character quality of compassion. And so when the Samaritan saw the man laying on the road, dying, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, putting oil and wine into the area that needed medical attention. And he set the man on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and he gave that to the host and said to him, Take care of this man, and whatever you spend more when I come again, I will repay you. And then the Lord, after he finish, finishes the Good Samaritan account, he says to the man, the lawyer, Which now? Of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. Notice again, the Lord's trying to get this man to see his sin and his need of salvation by questions. And he ends with this question about which of these three was neighbor unto him. Charlie, tell us about the route that the priest and the Levite would have been taking and why it's called the bloody way and give us some background about the lawyer now.
1: Sure, I'd be glad to, uh, Pastor. Let's talk about where they were headed first, down the mountain, down the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Just to put it a little bit in historical perspective, that road ran down the mountain. I'm going to quote a source here. It was a dreary and, and a mountainous road. It was Lonely solitude. It was very gloomy. It was inaccessible uh, on either side, and there were a lot of thieves and robbers and folks that aren't particularly nice people, outlaws of society, quite infamous during that time. and The uh, the road was really a, a horrid and treacherous road that had a lot of murderers and ruffians and uh, just folks that created havoc uh, for the people that traveled on that road. It says that the name The Bloody Way, because of just all of the chaos that happened when people were traveling up and down that road, mentions that Herod the Great had dismissed about 40,000 men who had been engaged in building the temple, so they didn't really have any other employment. Josephus, who was a historian in Bible times, said that a lot of those became robbers, and they just waited along that road to attack and, and steal from people. So it was definitely... A path that was quite challenging for the for the people that went up and down that. So the lawyer in this case, I find it interesting to reflect a little bit upon him. The scripture doesn't clearly state this, but uh, I have the good fortune of working with a number of attorneys in my business career, and I can say that they they are all very articulate people. They know how to refute. They know how to debate. Uh, I've never known one to come unprepared to a meeting, so I can't imagine that this lawyer didn't come prepared this day to challenge Jesus. He wasn't there, in my view of this particular scripture, to glean truth or understand more deeply the message that Jesus had. He came with the intentions of testing, putting challenge upon the Lord Jesus. From that standpoint, you had mentioned earlier, reading the scripture, her lawyer desired to, to justify himself. So he, he certainly was looking for a way to trap the Lord Jesus. I do think it's really wonderful how the Lord answers a question with a question. The other really interesting thing that I find in this, at the end of that verse, Pastor, the lawyer wasn't even able to speak the word Samaritan. That's mm, <laughs> yeah, true. He That's commented true. about, uh, yes, well, the one who showed mercy. I know we're going to talk about the the relationship between them a little bit later, but clearly the lawyer had a great disdain for Samaritans, mm. and he just totally missed the point of what Jesus was attempting to to get across to him. He came to justify himself and to challenge the Lord Jesus and not to understand the message that Jesus had for the people of that day.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. You know, there's a difference between the woman at the well. She was very evasive when the Lord asked the woman at the well about her husband. And she said, I have no husband. The Lord said, well, I know you have no husband. There's more complication to your situation with your husband. And she began to understand her sinfulness before God. And she got her heart right with God. Whereas this man, he's evasive looking only to find fault with Christ and not really to face the sin in his own life. And I want to just talk a moment here about why did the Lord give the account of the Good Samaritan? Well, he gave the account because this man asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in his mind, he thought he could be saved by keeping the law. He was a professional in the law of God by traditions uh, the interpretations of traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers. They had gotten far away from the actual truth of the word of God, but they had the mindset we can be saved by keeping the law, obeying the law. And the Bible clearly says by the law is the knowledge of sin. And that's why the Lord said, what do you read in the law? What does it say? And the man said, well, it says, love God with all your heart and soul, strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And it should have been at that moment, that man should have said, that's impossible. I, I don't do that. I can't humanly do that. He should have fallen down on his knees before God and say, the only way I can do that is if I'm Have the Holy Spirit supernaturally enable me to love you that way and and love humanity person that way. And so instead of that, he said, well, who is my neighbor? He's trying to cover his sin instead of confess his sin. And I just want to remind all of us what the Bible says about righteousness. It says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness we have done, But according to God's mercy, he saves us through his son, Jesus Christ. It tells us in Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ is what brings us righteous before God. It's the righteousness of Christ's righteousness that makes us righteous before God. And then in Ephesians 2, it says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. So there's a night and day difference as far as this man's motive, his intention to really want to get his heart right with God. Uh, He was trying to find something to bring against Christ himself. So with that uh, said, Charlie, let's move on now to our next point here about what did the Lord mean by who is my neighbor? And you and I have some quotes here we want to read that explains why the Lord phrased the question to the man the way he phrased it about uh, who your neighbor is. So I'm going to let you read, first of all, Alexander McLaren's uh, quote, and then I'll read some of the other quotes.
1: Okay, sure, Pastor. Uh, Alexander McLaren quotes, The lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, is really turned around the other way in Christ's form of it at the close. It is better to ask, whose neighbor am I, than Who is my neighbor? The lawyer meant by the word, a person whom I am bound to love. So he was asking the question or making the statement, well, my neighbor is the one I'm bound to love. But he wanted to know just how far an obligation extended to love his neighbor, but not for the intention we would think. He had no mind to recognize one inch more or farther than he was obligated to love his neighbor. So his intention didn't come from the heart, from a love standpoint. He probably had in his thought the limitations that rabbis had that made it as much duty to hate thine enemy as to love thy neighbor. The letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Probably, too, he accepted the national limitations or the Jewish limitations of that culture of that day which refused to see any neighbors outside of the Jewish people. So if you weren't a Jew, they didn't consider you somebody worthy of even consideration. They especially despised the Samaritans because of both their religious and their racial compromise of the past. If the wounded, dying man laying on the side of the road was a Samaritan, The priest and the Levite would think themselves justified under the law, not even to stop and help because they were considered themselves to be enemies of the Samaritans. Neighborhood, in in his judgment, implied nearness or those that he was like or similar to, and he wished to know how far off the boundaries of the region included in the command that was there. There are a great many of us like him. Who Mm. think that the obligation Mm. is a matter of geography Mm. versus that of love, like force. It's inversely as the square of the distance. So it's completely opposite of what the Lord intended us to to love those around us. A good deal of the so-called virtue of patriotism is this sort. In Christ's way of putting the question back to him, he sweeps all such limitations aside. It is the spirit of the law that is paramount here, not the letter of the law that the lawyer was trying to justify himself by.
0: Amen. Amen. This is Marcus Dodd's quote. What does it mean to be neighborly rather than trying to figure out who your neighbor is by geography? What does it mean to be neighborly? It is love that makes man neighbor to man. The true neighbor is the man who has a compassionate heart and a friendly spirit. Where this is lacking, it matters not whether the man lives next door or belongs to the same congregation or is a member of the same club. It ought to be so that these external associations, as they so often do become the definition of neighbor, but where no love exists, there's no suitable expression of being a good neighbor. These external can never supply the place of love. No doubt the people who saw the Samaritan, uh, he must—he was probably thinking when they looked at the Samaritan and how he helped that man, well, he must be a brother of the man. He must be a neighbor of the man. He must be an old friend of the man. But the truth is, that genuine compassion and affection make a man a brother, make a man a neighbor or a friend. It is not then by any marks of association with others that we determine who our neighbor is, but what determines neighborliness is what's going on inside of ourself. That's uh, Marcus Dodds. And then I want to read one more quote from Philip Riken. Jesus wanted the lawyer to consider a deeper question. Not who is my neighbor, but whose neighbor am I? Hence the wording of his question, Which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor? Rather than letting him get away with keeping the issue at arm's length, Jesus brought it straight to his heart. The real question is not what someone else has to do to qualify for my assistance, but what kind of a neighbor am I anyway? One commentator puts it this way, one cannot define one's neighbor. One can only be a neighbor. And then somebody else said, neighbor is not a concept to be debated or defined, but a flesh and blood person in the ditch waiting to be served. You can't define your neighbor in advance. You can only be a neighbor when the moment of mercy arrives. So these three quotes bring it down to not so much determining who your neighbor is by location or geography or nationality or race, any of that type of qualification, but it's do I have a neighborly spirit? Do I have a neighborly attitude? Do I have the same attitude as Jesus? I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And so with that said, Charlie, I know you and I talk a lot about how It's easy to talk about these concepts, but when you uh, really uh, run into the situations in life of people needing help, needing assistance, uh, it takes a lot of walking in the spirit, being led by the spirit, spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding, spiritual discernment, because it's not always that easy to figure out how do you give the help to the person or You know, like if somebody just wants you to give money to them, you may be better off to just take them and buy them some food or buy them some gas. It takes discernment. It takes understanding at the moment on how to help people the best. Otherwise, you may be deepening their problem of need rather than helping their problem of need. And uh, I wanted you to share in your life. You had on one occasion, you've helped one person on, on a long time basis. And then on another occasion, you, you helped a person on a one time basis. And how do you go in, in your uh, walk with God, Charlie? How do you determine his leading as to either help the person on a long time or a short time? Well, how do you figure that out?
1: So, Pastor, that's a great question. I'd like to point to a phrase in this parable, Luke ten thirty one. That verse starts out, and by chance, there came down a certain priest. Mm. And I really, I really don't think things happen, quote, by chance. Mm. I mean, they appear that way to us in a human perspective. But there is no event that occurs by chance according to God's plan. In the church, we all have different gifts. A gentleman in our church more than 15 years ago met uh, a lady at a laundromat, uh, shared the gospel with her, and she ended up coming to the, to the fellowship. And my wife and her struck up a, a conversation and became friends. Her background was one that was really, really difficult. Uh, she had come out of the drug culture. Her mom was a drug addict. She uh, had children, two sons that uh, had definitely challenges. And we just struck up a friendship with her. Somewhat became, uh, I guess, her safety net uh, in the sense that when there was nobody else for her to turn to, she Mm -hmm. had strained relationships with her family. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And over the past 15 years, I I think we've helped uh, this lady and her when her sons were with her. At time and then after they moved out and got married or you know became adults, we still continued to have a relationship. A matter of fact, I actually signed a birthday card this morning mm. <laughs> because oh. it's her birthday. Hey. My wife had gotten her birthday card, a, mm. a gift card to go with it. But mm. over the years. When, when we could, we stepped in and helped. We I think we helped her move six or seven times, rented the U-Haul, put it in my van, whatever, mm-hmm. just to try to help her to have a, a more secure and a better place to live. And I can tell you, Pastor, it was mm-hmm. two steps forward and one step back mm-hmm. so many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just had to stop and reflect on what her life had been like and say you know god has put us here Mm. he's given us the ability and the means to help her Mm. did we shower her with so much money she never had another problem in her life Mm. no absolutely not but Mm. at those critical moments when there wasn't anybody else that she could turn to Mm. her family abandoned her nobody was helping her it's like Mm. yeah we'll be glad to take a couple of days out of our life and, and help you move and help you get situated. And I'm happy to say right now, she's in a great place. She's, fi- she's finally probably where she'll live the rest of her life uh, securely and safely and Praise and, and has what she needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't always the case. And over the years, uh, we had to go to the Lord and ask when was the right uh, moment to help her and her family.
0: Yeah. One of the things about her is she was growing in the grace and knowledge of her faith and her relationship with the Lord and by you being there in those temporal yep. crisis, the Lord was working in supernatural ways as far as her relationship with God. And you were seeing those things take place as far as her spiritual growth, her spiritual understanding and her being able to. Understanding about life that she had never understood before, as far as God.
1: uh, I'm reminded of the verse in in James where it says, Well, if you see somebody in need and you don't help them, Mm -hmm. then how can you really have the love of the Lord? Those moments that we helped her Mm -hmm. gave us the avenue and the opportunity to have more spiritual conversations. And you're correct, Beth. She Mm -hmm. grew tremendously over those years. Mm to the capacity that she had the ability to, given her background. Mm-hmm. We just continued to love her, and she's a good dear friend today, yeah. Amen. Uh, 15 Amen. years later.
0: Yeah, same with me, my relationship with her. One comment is you can't do this type of relationship on a long-term basis with everybody. There's a limitation to how many people you could have that type yep. of relationship with. So all of us have to prayerfully, under God's direction, let him lead us in these things Uh, we don't want to overload our circuit you know because we'll burn out trying to help everybody to the extent
1: you can't help everybody right right. you you can help the ones that god has brought across your path
0: yeah exactly who are the people that god knows it's his will for me to be involved in that way now you had another situation just recently that was a one-time crisis help need And how did you go about knowing it was the Lord's will? It involved you taking a long trip from uh, (laughs) South Carolina to New Jersey. It did.
1: (laughs) It actually got started from our home groups that we have. There's a couple that hosts the home group uh, in their home every, every month. And so over the last year, we've gotten to be pretty good friends with them. And they had befriended this lady who had uh, two daughters and also was the caretaker of another gentleman's son. And it really was our compassion for the hosts who had great compassion for this other lady and her, her children. They had reached out, had spent a lot of time. They had been in her home often. And it was really through them that we saw the need that this lady had. It became a moment when... They were being evicted from where they were going to stay, and the Lord had provided for an opportunity for her to, to move to New Jersey and have a, a much safer environment to, to have with her kids. And I had lived in New Jersey once. I had the time available, and when I was talking to her, the Lord just prompted me to realize, hey... You know, Mm -hmm. she needs a way to get there. Mm -hmm. She has no money. Mm -hmm. She literally had no Mm -hmm. money at all. Mm -hmm. She couldn't buy a bus ticket, had no car. She wasn't Mm going to drive. Mm -hmm. And in the conversation of hearing her story and listening to it, the Lord prompted me, well, You've driven that road probably 20 times in the last 15 years. It, it's, it's not that difficult of a drive. You know where she's going. Mm-hmm. And I found myself standing in front of her and saying, well, when you're ready to move, I'll be glad to, to take you up there. Wow. And that's what I did. I mean, uh, yep. I, I took a couple of days off. Uh, we had a great time of fellowship and sharing. I learned a lot about her. But at that moment, uh, we were able to come alongside her and her family to put them in a better place. Uh, The Lord hasn't written the last chapter of that one. I don't yet know what's gonna happen long-term, but we certainly wanna play a role in that lady's life and also help the couple had invested so much here in Greenville in their lives. It wasn't by chance. I had the resources, I had the time, and the Lord literally whacked me upside the head and said, hey, you can do this.
0: Well, this season of your life, there's a lot of going on with your job where under the normal pressure of your job responsibilities, you probably wouldn't have had the same freedom to just take off like that.
1: That's right. I wouldn't have. I looked at my calendar on the day that she said she needed to go and, surprise, by chance there was nothing on it. <laughs> <laughs> Not by chance. It was the there providence there of God. There
0: you go. See, that's just it. You knew God's given me a day of being able to do it. Yep. So God can make it plain. He can make it definite. He can make it sure, whether it's a long-term helping or a one-time helping. So, Charlie, let's move on now to the golden rule idea here. And you are going to read about the, give us a little bit of uh, information about the man who was robbed, but I'm going to talk about the golden rule a little bit first. The Bible talks about Jesus himself said, whatever you would that men do to you, do ye also to them. So if you were the person lying on the side of the road, wounded and dying, what would you want men to do for you? Well, obviously you need help and you'd want them to help you. Well, that would be what our attitude should be when we see somebody else lying on the side of the road, wounded and dying. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But I think it's interesting who God makes the hero of the story to be here the Samaritan being the hero. And then more than likely, the man lying on the side of the road was a Jewish man. And because of the animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles, if a Jew came by and saw a Samaritan laying on the side of the road, the man already revealed his attitude. Well, who is my neighbor? Well, the Samaritans are not my neighbor. The Gentiles are not my neighbor. He would have just passed by and said, I don't have a responsibility here because they've forsaken God. The Samaritans have compromised what the Bible says about God and this, that, and the other, and he would have felt justified passing by. But it's very interesting that God lets the man that helps the Jew laying on the side of the road be a Samaritan man. And the Samaritan, to put it in reverse golden rule terminology, he could have said Well, if I was lying there, he would just pass right by me and wouldn't help me. So why should I help him? You know, he's got such an attitude towards me. Why should I help a man that would never help me? But instead, the most least likely man to help the man on the side of the road, which proves he had something in his relationship with God worked out properly. Remember, what does the law say? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor. And because he had a love relationship with God, he then showed merciful compassion, merciful love. You know, God loves us when we are rebellious, when we are sinful, when we have our fist in his face. We're not lovely when God loved us and sent his son to die for us on the cross. And so when we are helping people, we need to be merciful and compassionate uh, towards other people in the same way that God loved us. That's what the Samaritan did. He loved the unlovely in the sense that this man would have never loved him and helped him. And the most least likely person to help was the one that helped because he had a right relationship with God. And the other man, the lawyer, he was just self-righteous in his own self, and had no relationship with God. So, Charlie, you have any thoughts uh, about that? And then uh, you want to read uh, your thoughts on the man that was robbed? Sure,
1: I'd be glad to, Pastor. I know that the Scripture is actually silent as to whether the gentleman that was robbed was a Jew or not. I find fascinating, because it doesn't say, I think this particular parable appeals to so many people around the globe. Of all the stories, uh, this is probably one that in every culture you hear the Good Samaritan story. We even have in the United States Good Samaritan laws that many states have enacted to protect people that choose to have compassion. And in this particular case, the Samaritan, as the scripture says... As soon as he saw him, he had compassion on him. So there was clearly something about the Samaritan toward this man, but we don't really know much about him. We just know that he was traveling down the road because the scripture says he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't know why he was in Jerusalem. We don't know why he was headed to Jericho. We just know that he ended up in a very bad place having been attacked. The Samaritan was the one that, quote, by chance came across him, had the opportunity to to show the love of Christ toward him. So the fact that we don't we don't know whether he's a Jew, but for those that are Jews, clearly the lawyer was. I'm sure that he heard the story and said, "Oh, well, the man that was robbed was a Jew." But there may be other people that that hear the story and don't come to that same conclusion, but still get the same principle that Jesus was trying to get across—that we're supposed to to love our neighbors, and our neighbors are folks that are the people that come across our path and are in need. So I, I just find it a very compelling story. Actually, I have a personal story, Pastor, mm. uh, where I, I was like the priest and the Levite years ago, <laughs> Okay. Uh, speaking in New Jersey. Uh, my family they lived, lived in New Jersey for a short period of time, and I think it was the coldest winter on record, and at least in my lifetime. We were driving back to visit my parents in West Virginia, Mm. It was 15 below zero. Wow! It was uh, late at night. A car behind me had passed me on a very curvy road in West Virginia. A couple of corners later, there uh, a deer ran across the, the road. The the car in front of me that had been behind me that had passed me uh, hit that deer. Mm. Didn't do a lot of damage. And I have to admit, Pastor, I I didn't stop. Mm. And every time I mm. I, I read this story, Mm -hmm. I'm reminded that I was not a neighbor to that individual in that car that day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it just shows that we do need to live by the spirit and listen to what God's telling us. And I I must admit, I failed the test that day Mm -hmm. uh, in my life. The idea that any of us can justify ourselves uh, is just beyond Mm-hmm. Uh, comprehension. I mean, mm-hmm. we we all need mm-hmm. a savior, Amen. and and Amen. and the Lord Jesus made it quite clear to me. And every time I read the scripture, I'm reminded of that. And it's like uh, He's saying to me, afresh and anew, you need Jesus more desperately than you ever know, because there is no way you can justify yourself.
0: Amen. Yeah, you know, God's got to regenerate us. We we got to have new life within us because we have a sin nature within us and we can't overcome that sin nature with the sin nature just causes us to be full of our own self and selfishness and certainly we're going to pass by lots of people you know when you're wrapped up in yourself you're, you're going to use people for your own self-interest your own self gain instead of looking for ways to help people so it shows again the necessity of being born again the necessity of being regenerated and having new life through Jesus Christ. It's only we, we can do these things we're talking about, Charlie, only through the life of Christ. As you well said, we fail so many times. We miss the opportunity so many times when we lean on our selfishness instead of letting Christ set us free from that selfishness. So let's move on here. Charlie, I want to talk about a little bit about you reap what you sow, and then we're going to talk about, we'll go down and cover the excuses and the letter of the law after this. I'm reminded in the scripture, be careful how you treat others, because how you treat others, you reap what you sow. Let me read this quote to you from Dr. Lightfoot. Dr. Lightfoot tells us that many of the courses of the priest had their residence in Jericho and thence came up to Jerusalem when it was their turn to officiate there. And so back again, many occasions they would pass by, this route and the Levites also they came this way and saw the poor man wounded it is probable they heard his groans and could not but perceive that if he were not helped the man would quickly perish the Levite not only saw him but came and looked on him but they passed by on the other side when they saw his case they got as far off from him as ever they could as if they would have had a pretense to say, Behold, we knew it not. And that's what I want to speak to here. In Proverbs 24, it talks about this attitude, you know, where we try to just get something out of our mind that, oh, well, we didn't really know what was going on and didn't know we needed help in a situation. Listen to Proverbs 24. If you for, This is Proverbs 24, 11. If you forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if you say in your heart and if your mind, in your mind, Behold, we knew it not. It's the same terminology Dr. Lightfoot is using. Behold, we knew it not. Doth not he, that is God, that ponders the heart consider how you're thinking and looking at things and handling things? And he that keepeth your soul, doth not he know exactly what's going on inside of you. And then here's the rest of it. Shall not he render to every man according to his works? We need to consider, what's going to come upon me? If God gives me the opportunity to help others and I let it pass, and the Bible clearly says, you reap what you sow. And even using the excuse, behold, we knew it not, that's not going to uh, make it go away. Uh, we need to consider, what am I going to bring upon myself? There's another proverb in Proverbs 21:13. It says, if you stop your ears at the cry of the poor, and you make excuses, which is what we're going to look at, at next, the excuses that the priest and the Levite could have used, If you stop your ears at the cry of the poor, you will cry and not be heard. So I think I should put the fear of God into us that be careful what you don't do for others because you may find yourself in a situation where others don't do for you in your time of need because you do reap what you sow. So Charlie, could you read those excuses for us? The priests and the Levites quote about the excuses they could have come up with.
1: Sure, Pastor. I'll be glad to. The priest and the Levite, they were both in a hurry. They had probably been a month in Jerusalem serving in the temple. They were expected and wanted at home. Their wives and children were probably anxiously awaiting for them. The sun would soon go down, and it was a very lonely road, even by daylight. Neither of them understood surgery or how to help. They couldn't bind up a wound or, or save the man's life if he was in need of great medical care. Moreover, the poor man, he was already half dead. He would probably be dead in an hour or two anyway, and it was a pity to waste time on such a hopeless case. The robbers, too, might be back again if they stopped to help. Then the man might die and the person found near the body would be charged with the murder. All good excuses, Pastor. Every one of them. Yeah, it's true.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> it, uh, it it comes to pass that the world's miseries go unrelieved, and the world's sins unrebuked, and the world's uh, perishing ones unsaved. But now, in contrast with all this, our Savior shows us that in the presence of distress, true love, forgetting self, hastens to its relief. And actually, Pastor, as I'm reading this, I'm mm. reminded that there, mm. right now as we speak, mm. this principle is being played out uh, by a gentleman that was uh, the security officer in, in one of the schools that had one of those uh, mass shootings. And he chose not to step in and help. Uh, and he's in court today uh, on trial for Mm. Failure to actually help Mm. in a situation. So Mm. I find it interesting, even in our, in our sinfulness of man, we recognize that if you have the opportunity, the capacity and the ability, you should help. Yeah. Uh, and clearly, uh, the priest and Levi didn't, but, uh, as I shared earlier, I'm guilty of doing that too. I drove around the person that hit the deer and didn't right. stop to help because yep. yep. my kids were sleepy. It was 15 below zero. I didn't want to be bothered.
0: Yeah. And so have I on many occasions done the same thing. And that particular quote was uh, by H.M. Grout that Charlie just read about. These are excuses. You know, it's am- amazing how we can, our mind can reason logically to the wrong, wrong, conclusion. wrong conclusion. And that's exactly how those excuses uh, play out there. We need to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge Him and then God will direct our path. So it, it doesn't mean that we're going to be able to help every time in every situation, but what are the times that God's, it's God's will for us to help in certain situations, in certain cases? So, Charlie, let's talk about the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The whole purpose of uh, the law, as Jesus pointed out when the man said, Love God and love your neighbor as yourself, he said, You've answered rightly. So, the law of love should override the letter of the law situation. You, you got you know, the New Testament says the letter of the law kills. If you only go by the letter of the law, it kills. But if you go by the spirit of the law, it brings life to a people's lives. So what do you see there, Charlie, about the letter of the law and the spirit of the law? Uh,
1: I, I think it's fitting that a, that a lawyer is the one that asked him these questions. And he you know, challenged the thinking of the lawyer because what better example of an individual who knows the letter of the law than, mm. than a lawyer uh, And the idea that, We need to look past the letter of the law. I'm actually, when we were talking about this earlier, Pastor, I was reminded of Mm -hmm. a, a verse in Deuteronomy that I'd like to read. It says, when you build a new house, you must build a railing around the edge of its flat roof. That way you will not be considered guilty of murder if someone falls from the roof. So here in the old Testament, the Lord laid out a a biblical command for them that, well, you're supposed to put a railing around the flat roof because that's where people went uh, in the evening to cool off up on the roof. You didn't want folks to fall off. So there is this aspect of of the letter of that, but there really is a, a principle here that is even beyond that. And that is we're supposed to love our neighbors, be concerned about our neighbors I had a situation last year, we built a house about three or four years ago, and in the construction of the house, there was a very large oak tree that sat about 20 feet off the, the corner of my house. The roots got damaged when they were moving the dirt around, and we, we wondered whether the tree was going to live or not. And it finally was quite clear it was not living, it was, it was going to, to die. And if it fell over, it could have hit my house. Falling one direction. If it fell the other direction, it would have hit a structure on my neighbor's property. And as I looked up and down the boundary line, the tree sat right on the property line. Mm. So we had lots of discussions. Well, should I talk to my neighbor about it? And mm. we, we, we had to do some other things uh, in the yard. So I had somebody give me a quote to, to take the tree down. It was quite expensive. <laughs> my wife and i talked about well should we ask the neighbor to pay for it it's half on their yard and as i really thought through that i said well you know if i'm really going to love my neighbor pastor Mm. it's my construction at the house that caused this tree to die not the neighbors Mm. and even though the tree is probably more on her yard than my yard Mm. i'm going to pay to take it down because the last thing i want to have happen is the tree to fall over and hurt somebody you know, on her property or my property. So there was the principle really by this Old Testament law that are you going to live by the letter of the law of what you are required to do? Or are you going to live by the spirit of the law, which is to love your neighbor and protect them Mm. and care for them Mm. and be concerned Mm. for them?
0: That's a great illustration. Weren't you saying, Charlie, that these laws, home ownership right now nationally and internationally, there's a lot of cases that goes back to this principle.
1: There, there is, Pastor. The, the, this, this biblical principle, and I think the other one that's in the scriptures, is talk about you know, when the individual's cow falls in the ditch and you choose mm-hmm. to pull the cow out on a Sabbath. The idea uh, is foundational in Western law, both English and American law, that we have an obligation to be concerned for others' safety and and risk. And matter of fact, there, there's a number of case law and there's a number of actual laws on the books today that require us to be considerate of the risks that others might have. Uh, so it it really goes to the to the biblical truth of the spirit of being concerned and caring for our neighbor than just a particular letter of being right by the law but failing to do the right thing.
0: All right, and like you said earlier. The Good Samaritan is probably one of the most well-known accounts in the Bible. Like John 3, 16 is probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. But even within people in the non-religious world, they know the concept of Good Samaritan. It's, It's like it's in the heart of man to know the loving right thing to do is in the heart of man. Even if you don't have a relationship with God, it's built into the fabric of the spirit of how God made things to be. Right. So, uh, Charlie, I want to read this quote here about how to see this from a modern-day perspective. I saw a lot of these quotes that would help us uh, picture this as far as the vividness of what it would be like today. But this was the one that struck me the strongest. And this is from Philip Riken. People often call this parable the story of the Good Samaritan. But as far as the Jews were concerned, there were no Good Samaritans. The term was an oxymoron, contradiction in terms. It's difficult to come up with a contemporary comparison that conveys the same sense of social surprise. But we do not really understand this story until we make a racial and religious comparison that seems to go too far. And then he gives his illustration here that is very helpful, I think, to understand exactly what was taking place in biblical times. He says maybe it would be something like this, an Islamic fundamentalist helping an evangelical Christian injured in a terrorist attack. It was the last thing anyone would expect, and in fact, if the injured man had not been so desperate, he may have refused the Samaritans' help altogether. These men were not neighbors at all. They were enemies. Nevertheless, the Samaritans stopped to help giving us the superlative example of what it means to be a good neighbor. That struck me as being uh, one of the best illustrations in our modern day time of uh, how to apply in our heart and in our mind and in our attitude in a real life experience how God's love and God's truth would override all the strife and the division of man's animosity towards each other. And God can do some supernatural works in people's lives if we can just apply this Good Samaritan uh, principle uh, from the grace of God and mercy of God operating in our life. Do you have a comment on that, Charlie?
1: Well, the scripture clearly says we're supposed to love our enemies. So that story that you read is an absolute riveting example of of that because you're right. That would be the last person I think we would expect to help Especially if it was a terrorist attack, we've certainly had similar instances around the the globe and in the country uh, of just that scenario. So it's a very challenging principle that the Lord has laid out here as Mm. to who our neighbor is and Mm. and how we're supposed to love them.
0: And it's going to take God's love in our heart for us to ever do these types of actions towards other people because we can't overcome hate by our own human effort it's only overcome by the grace of the life of jesus christ within us so uh, charlie as we bring this to a close what's your final thoughts on how we would end this
1: well pastor i i, I think this is probably one of the the most emotional mm. uh, parables that jesus has for us uh, it certainly hits to the heart of the need for grace and the mercy and the blood of jesus toward us mm shows us a clear example of, of how we're supposed to love our neighbors and love those people around us uh, especially those that mm. uh, we uh, might find distasteful or not like but their nationality or their political leanings all of that needs to be put aside
0: mm.
1: uh, and we just look at the needs that people have and uh, love them because we're no different than right. we're no right. different than they are right. we, we all desperately need yeah a savior Amen. and to think that we're any better than somebody else uh, is just, true. it's, it's beyond, yeah. it's beyond God's <laughs> yeah. God's comprehension yeah. of it anyway. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right. Let me pray. And we'll bring this to a close father in heaven. Charlie just well said it. You are no respect of persons. You love every single person in the world. The same. You're not willing that any person in the world perish but you are willing that all come to repentance. And so I pray, Father, that somehow we would understand by the supernatural workings of the Holy Spirit what it means to be a good Samaritan when the occasion arises. May we not come up with human excuses. And I pray also, Father, we wouldn't be scammed or taken advantage of because it happened to me as a pastor many times. I tried to help people, which I thought was a legitimate situation, and I found out it was a professional scam. So I pray you give us the spiritual discernment, spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding to truly and sincerely be a good Samaritan and at the same time risk being taken advantage of for the sake of others being able to truly see Jesus Christ and his mercy and his grace and his life being manifested in a sincere way. And so we commit this to you, Father, and thank you for giving us this uh, account of the Good Samaritan. In Jesus' name, amen.